Hello, and welcome to RBC Disruptors, our ongoing conversation about how we can reimagine the Canadian economy in this time of unprecedented change. I'm your host, John Stackhouse. It's the middle of summer, and most of us are probably thinking about getting to the beach or getting out on the open water, especially if you're near an ocean. You know, there's no better place than Canada for that, as we have more coastline and a more varied coastline than any other country. But when most of us think about oceans, we probably don't think about their economic potential. It's huge. The global ocean's economy could be worth $3 trillion, and Canada could be a leader in their sustainable development. But that opportunity is about more than money or GDP. Oceans are critical to our fight against climate change, to our search for new ways to feed a hungry planet, and for better ways to move people and goods around the world. Oceans may also be the next digital frontier, which is why there's such a great opportunity for Canada. Kate Moran and Julie Angus see that opportunity, and they're chasing the next frontier of innovation to harness our oceans and all the data they generate to build new businesses and to take on some of our greatest challenges. Kate is the CEO of Ocean Networks Canada, the world's foremost ocean analytics organization. It's based in Victoria. Julie is an adventurer and entrepreneur. She was the first woman to row across the Atlantic Ocean, which earned her National Geographic's Adventurer of the Year. She was also recently named BC Business's Innovator of the Year for the company she founded and runs, Open Ocean Robotics. Kate and Julie, welcome to RBC Disruptors. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, John. It's a pleasure to be here. It's great to connect with you both across uh, this very large country of ours. I'm in Toronto. You're both in Victoria. Julie, I want to start with you and your incredible story for those who haven't heard it about crossing the ocean. I think I've dipped my toe in a number of oceans, but never done anything remotely close to what you've done. Take us there. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I've done a, a number of expeditions on the ocean, but my longest one was rowing across the Atlantic, which was five months in a relatively small rowboat rowing from Lisbon, Portugal to Limon, Costa Rica. What does that mean, a relatively small rowboat <laughs> crossing the Atlantic? <laughs> so it is bigger than a raft, thankfully. Uh, it, it's 24 feet long, which is about the size of a double kayak, and it's a bit wider than that. It's an ocean rowboat, so it is actually designed for rowing across oceans. It has a lot of modern technology, so it's covered in solar panels. It has a desalinator that's used to convert salt water to fresh water. Uh, it has a a small cabin at the back end that's just big enough for two people to squeeze in but the only way of propelling it is or so it has two sliding seat rowing seats basically you're moving at at a walking pace so it's a very slow uh, and scenic way to cross an ocean what motivated you it is, in many ways, a, a very incredible experience. Of course, it's physically challenging. You're rowing for 12 or more hours a day. You're extremely isolated. You're very self-reliant. But at the same time, there's this beauty that you're exposed to. I mean, the oceans are vast, incredible, dynamic, mysterious places. Uh, you know, 70% of our world is covered in ocean, yet we know so little about it. 80% of our oceans are unexplored, unobserved, unmapped. It really was a very powerful uh, experience. 
It's interesting when you think of Canada, most Canadians think of a giant landmass, and we don't think of ourselves really as kind of seafaring people the way others in the world may see themselves. Kate, I'm curious what attracted you to oceans in the first place? I basically went to graduate school in ocean engineering, and I had the opportunity to go out to sea for the first time in a vessel much bigger than what Julie was talking about. And it was January in the North Atlantic, and I was very, very seasick, but I was then immediately enamored with going to sea. It was just just like Julie said, the idea that you're sitting five kilometers above the ocean floor and that there's this huge volume of water and we don't know much about it. So that just started my career and, and I've been in every one of the oceans so far. I love that you're both entrepreneurs and you've got an entrepreneurial spirit and you're applying that to the ocean economy, which we don't think nearly enough about in this country. That's why we're doing this podcast to help us all understand what, uh, what the opportunities and, and some of the challenges are. Let me step back, though, and ask why Canadians should care about the oceans beyond their beauty and maybe some of the uh, distance they, <laughs> they create for us with the rest of the world, which can be both uh, problematic and convenient. Why should Canadians care more about oceans? Julie, let's start with you. I think the oceans are crucial for our world, for our economy, for our species, for our survival in so many ways. First of all, you know, we can look at the environmental benefits they afford us. They absorb 30% of the carbon dioxide. They produce 50% of the oxygen we breathe. They've absorbed 90% of the heat caused by global warming. 90% of our goods are shipped on the ocean. It's a $3 trillion economy. So the ocean are crucial, whether you live on the coast or whether you're in the middle of the country. And for Canada, I think this is especially important because we do have the longest coastline in the world. We border the Atlantic, the Pacific, the Arctic, and we have a huge opportunity on our coastlines to develop our ocean economy. And we have so many incredible resources to do that in Canada. Kate, you gave a terrific TED Talk on healthy oceans and what healthy oceans mean for the planet. I think immediately of the plastics crisis that certainly has raised awareness of the integral role that oceans play in the planet's health. But help us understand beyond plastics, why oceans matter to our own health wherever we may be. The fact that the ocean is absorbing about a little over 30% of the carbon dioxide that we've emitted into the atmosphere from burning fossil fuels it's created a bigger problem in the ocean, which is ocean acidification. The CO2 reacts with other chemicals in the ocean, making it more acidic. The other piece is that the warming ocean is also a problem in that it then holds less nutrients. So that also, again, affects the food web. These aspects of the impact on the ocean, we have to look at carefully because we need to maintain this important organ on the planet. But I'd like to pick up on the on the economy piece. Yeah, as you were talking, I was feeling suddenly guilty for <laughs> pursuing an economic question. Thinking it sounds like yeah. maybe we should just leave oceans alone and not see them as an economic resource. So you know, in in 2016, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development released a report saying that the blue economy or the ocean economy would reach three trillion U.S. dollars equivalent by 2030. But it's going to be bigger than that, and the evidence for that came in a report that was released by the U.S. just last month. 
that where they did an analysis of the U.S. blue economy and showed that the ocean and marine sectors in the United States contributed $373 billion to their GDP, which was faster than the entire U.S. economy. So we can't sit here as a country and let other countries benefit from that growth. And I like to put them in various buckets of the economy. We need to transition to essentially a net zero marine transportation system. We should be establishing negative carbon and ecosystem-based aquaculture management. We need to have climate adaptation services that we can provide not only to Canada, but all around the world. And then finally, we need to begin to develop our rich ocean renewable energy systems. And so if we continue in those kind of areas, we will be helping the ocean and at the same time providing food and energy and a sustainable future. It seems like an enormous and for those who are knowledgeable in this space, kind of an obvious opportunity. Why is that not happening on its own? Why is Canada not emerging on its own as a more significant ocean's power, if I can put it that way? I think one of the reasons is that the cities in Canada that are right on the coast are Tofino, Victoria, Halifax, St. John's. So even though all of them have in some ways been impacted by the changes in the ocean from climate change, they're small parts of the economy, really. In contrast, in the United States, where they are really looking at uh, taking advantage of the blue economy, New York City got hit by Hurricane Sandy. It was directly related to that storm being enhanced by climate change. The west coast of California, where there, there's a huge economy there, are being impacted hugely by sea level rise and, and the encroaching loss of, of coastline. So it's these economic centers in other countries that are getting it. And I think to cities in Canada like Toronto, Montreal, can see that, as Julie said, the ocean impact the whole country, and we need to move in these directions and, and raise awareness about how we can do that in a way that not only grows the economy, but protects the ocean and puts us in a leadership position. And I think COVID-19, because we've done so well, we could really kick it off by putting some of the stimulus into what some of us are now calling a combination of the ocean economy and the green economy, which is the aquamarine economy. How else has COVID impacted the ocean's economy? Well, I think one of the, the challenges with COVID is it's more difficult to go out there on a ship. So conducting um, research missions is more challenging right now. So you're seeing a lot of cancellation of those research journeys. So we're you know, understanding less about our oceans or there is a disruption in, you know, a multi-year, multi-decade research protocol. So I think looking for solutions that can overcome some of the challenges of collecting ocean data is one way to relieve some of the pressures caused by COVID as well. Um, so, you know, Kate can definitely talk to this Ocean Networks Canada is a leader in, in using remote resources to collect uh, data from the ocean, you know, our company, Open Ocean Robotics, produces uncrewed surface vehicles to collect that data. And, and I think an increased focus on marine robotics, both on the surface, subsurface, as well as the data that's produced from that and analyzing that data is, is going to play an important role in the future ocean economy. It's fascinating how interconnected we all are through our oceans. They're not only a largely uncharted part of our Earth, they're also a critical part of our global infrastructure. It got me thinking, perhaps with a bit of disappointment, 
about how little Canada has done in the ocean tech space. We have the largest coastline in the world, ample resources, and scientists like Kate and Julie working every day to better understand our oceans and their impacts on our economy. I wanted to learn more about what Canada could be doing and why it matters for everyone, even if you don't live near the water. Kate, you talked about the opportunity that is before us with obviously a lot of money now allocated for stimulus and presumably more to come. What are the opportunities we should be thinking about as a country in the near term over the next couple of years? And then how do we take advantage of those opportunities? Well, I think the low-hanging fruit really sits in what I would call the blue carbon space because of our long coastline, really enhancing aquaculture along our coast. And in fact, in British Columbia, for example, the, some of the communities that, are, that have been hit hardest by COVID-19 are, are First Nations. Their waterfronts are these locations, so it could also benefit their economic situation as well as, uh, as the countries. I also think that offshore wind is an area that uh, North America is far behind. And because there's rich wind resources offshore, and it is an economic system already, the technology's there, the economics make sense. So those two, I would say, are low-hanging fruit that we need to move on. But then the others, as like I said, negative carbon emissions we need to work on. Um, Ocean Networks Canada is working on that right now with a project called Solid Carbon. It's putting together uh, six different technologies to pull CO2 out of the atmosphere and then permanently removing it by injecting it into the subsea floor, which within several years turns that gas into rock. So it's those kinds of, of technologies we need to invest in that have a payoff over the tens to 20 year time period. Yeah, one of the uh, great challenges in Canada is commercializing a lot of this research, which we've been doing for generations in all sorts of ways in different parts of the country. The supercluster strategy rolled out a couple of years ago was meant to help address that. And there's the ocean supercluster that you're both connected to. It's a signal from the federal government that the ocean's economy is a strategic priority and there need to be better ways for us to connect academia, research labs, and uh, entrepreneurs to commercialize and scale the technologies that they're creating. Give us a sense, Kate, if I can stay with you for a moment on the progress of the supercluster from your uh, point of view and what you're trying to build now. Ocean Networks Canada has been minimally involved. And I think it's because as it got kicked off, it was really focusing and still is focusing on Atlantic Canada. And I think that makes sense. The industries that anchored the ocean supercluster are oil and gas, aquaculture, some fisheries. And so they're focusing on the now in terms of the blue economy. What we're potentially moving forward here on the West Coast is taking that blue economy in a slightly different direction, as I've described, moving away from growing extractive industries and moving into ocean industries that really do help the planet. The other thing I'd like to say is that we have these incredible strengths here in Canada that support this, what I'm going to call the aquamarine economy. Julie mentioned it, automation and robotics, but also artificial intelligence and ocean data analytics. Ocean Networks Canada is world, a world leader in, in a data system. So we have all these elements that can really skyrocket this aquamarine economy and then bridge the, the work that's been done in the ocean supercluster from a support to grow. We don't want to further grow the extractive industries, but instead move to a, a greener economy in the ocean. 
I'm curious how we can get more entrepreneurs engaged in the oceans economy. Kate, the way you framed it, I found fascinating that uh, we've traditionally looked at extractive industries in the uh, the oceans, and those tend to be corporates, large corporates especially, and juxtapose that with uh, the sustainable oceans approach, which I'd assume historically has been governments. Governments have departments and agencies that protect our oceans, so we, we leave it to them. Not a lot of space in between for the entrepreneur. How do we create that space and what do Canadian entrepreneurs need to uh, accelerate in it? Julie, maybe I can start with you because you are an entrepreneur. You've got your own company. How do you see it? So I think there's a few strategies we can pursue to build a more robust ocean entrepreneurship environment. Um, one is, you know, accelerators and incubators like CDL, like technology commercialization programs that are run out of universities, really giving scientists the skills to build their own companies. Two is fostering more support for these ecosystems by encouraging collaborations between large industries and government. So procurement by government, I think, is really important. You know, governments are a large customer of, of ocean tech, of ocean data, because it's so important for their national interests. So I think we are moving in the right direction. I think part of this is a recognition of the great opportunities that do lie in, in the blue economy, and that now is a critical time in starting to follow these opportunities and really invest in them. Kate, what do you see as the major obstacles that we can uh, reduce or eliminate to get more entrepreneurs and investors into the blue economy? I'm going to just shift your question a little bit because I'm actually seeing large company changes. So I mentioned this project we're working on called Solid Carbon, and it's really bringing ocean technology together to develop what's called a negative emission technology, which scientists now say that we have to have negative emissions, pulling CO2 out of the atmosphere by at least 2040 to stay at 1.5 degrees or lower. And because we started this project, I've now engaged with three large oil and gas service companies who are interested in working with us because they see the writing on the wall and they're seeing a shift in their, in their boards to move into areas of sustainable ocean development. I'm pretty optimistic that we're going to see a change in that large industry direction because of the fact that climate change is so costly and they need to actually be part of the solution. Oceans, of course, are a shared resource. There's plenty of countries, most countries, in fact, have uh, their own ecosystems, their own uh, blue economies. What and who are we up against most significantly, Kate, when we think about these opportunities? I think it's the U.S. They've been actually studying this now and putting money into looking at the blue economy very closely. I feel badly that the U.S. is such a bad COVID situation. But we're in a position, a stronger position to kick this off and take advantage of it sooner. What gives us that strength? In British Columbia alone, the port of Vancouver is the world's leading port on a sustainable port practices. And they're using companies here on the West Coast to help them do that, including Ocean Airways Canada, not as a company, but we've helped companies work with them. BC Ferries, they have now hybrid electric ferries. We have uh, carbon engineering here in British Columbia that's the, one of the only two companies in the world that's extracting CO2 from the atmosphere. As Julie said, we have this incredible ecosystem of artificial intelligence, data analysts, 
robotics and automation, that pulling it together, we could really simply take the world by storm. Kate, you were talking about the enormous opportunity. And Julie, I wonder how you see the addressable market, as it's called, uh, for what you're building through robotics, but more broadly through data-driven oceans research. What's the market for you? I think it is a global market. You know, we do need more ocean data in all ocean industries. Um, we need it for defense. We need it for research. And I think the future really is in data. Being able to better understand our oceans is going to impact everything. It's going to allow us to build more ocean industries, to build them sustainably, to better harvest the resources and utilize the oceans as we do today, whether that's for energy, whether it's for fisheries. As you said, John, it it is a global industry in many ways. Not only is it relevant, this technology, to all these different countries, but our oceans are a shared resource. You know, we do have to unite as a globe to some extent to be able to properly manage those resources. And I think data is really at the core of being able to effectively do that. One of our great challenges in developing the blue economy is our relationship with the coastlines. How do you think we as Canadians need to think about the balance between protection of coastlines and the economic opportunities? I think it's a triple bottom line. You you have to think about our oceans for the economic opportunity, for the sustainability, and for allowing communities to thrive. You can't really have one without the other. If you don't look after the oceans sustainably, you're going to have fisheries collapse, you're going to have economies suffer. But if you do strike that balance where you're able to sustainably utilize the ocean resources, whether it's sustainable fisheries, aquaculture, many of the things Kate mentioned, there are just so many opportunities to really grow our ocean economy. So I think we definitely need to think about it as a package moving forward. This is so fascinating. And I wonder if I can ask you both to touch a bit more on that opportunity. And if you think three or five years out in terms of your own work, Kate, when you look at where you're taking the network, where would you hope it can get in the next few years. What do you need to get there? We want to expand our observations to grow more in the Arctic. And the way that we're, we view it right now is empowering Indigenous peoples with technology because they are the stewards of most of these coastal areas. I hope that we'll be able to expand in many areas of the Arctic as they experience climate change, but also so that those Indigenous communities can use the data to make their own decisions. Julie, when you were rowing across the Atlantic, I imagine one of the things that got you through many days was being able to picture in your mind what the other side looked like. When you think about open ocean robotics, what does the other side look like? Well, for me, it looks like a digital ocean, an ocean that is really connected with multiple sensors, both vertically as well as horizontally. And you're able to really create this network of understanding the ocean that we just don't currently have. And I think there's multiple things driving this potential. One is many of the areas where this technology is being developed are growing at an exponential rate. When you think about communication, low Earth orbit satellites, that is going to fundamentally transform how we get information from the middle of the ocean. Suddenly, you're going to be able to get this huge bandwidth information, video from the middle of nowhere. 
When you look at AI and data processing, you know, we're able to process huge amounts of data and get those insights more rapidly so that in the future you can have an autonomous boat doing an incredible amount of data processing right there in the middle of the ocean. So the convergence of all of these innovative streams coming together is really going to drive this innovation in our ocean ecosystems. And, you know, we want to be a fundamental part of that. You were asking a five-year window, but I'd also like to say what I think a 20-year window would look like. And Canada could be leading the world in ocean-based negative emission technologies and be the world leader in that area by investing now. And that's because we are currently the world leaders in this new negative emission technology. It's about a 20-year window before it has global reach, but that's when we would need it on the planet. Maybe I'm just uh, showing my Canadianness and being too short-term minded and saying three to five years. So thank you for taking us <laughs> sure. out 20 years. Thank you both so much for being part of RBC Disruptors. Yeah, thank you, John. It's been a delight. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. It's been fun. For me, a big part of this conversation hinged on collaboration. Yes, we have to take oceans more seriously and realize how crucial they are for our future. But it's more than just focusing on the ocean. It's about bringing together scientists, robotics, AI, entrepreneurship, and partners to help commercialize this new wave, no pun intended, of sustainable ocean tech. In talking with Kate and Julie, five ideas stood out to me. Number one, there's a massive economic opportunity in Canada. We have the knowledge, coastline access, and every possible support mechanism, like robust AI research and government support for innovative startups. We just need to prioritize our focus. Number two, oceans are critical to human survival. Oceans are more than a pretty sight with intriguing and colorful sea life. They play a crucial role in regulating temperatures and making climates hospitable for humanity. Number three, indigenous communities need to lead the way. In Canada, a lot of coastline land is the territory of indigenous peoples and they're remarkable economic and environmental stewards. We have to work with them and include their perspectives in order to truly build a sustainable future for our country, as well as our oceans. Number four, we have oceans of data, literally. Over 80% of the world's oceans are unmapped because we haven't had the resources to get the job done. Advances in AI, autonomous technologies, and robotics mean we're more prepared than ever to better capture the trends and insights that our oceans can offer. And number five, we need more entrepreneurs in the blue economy. Too much oceans innovation has been left to governments and big companies. We need them, but we also need startups, entrepreneurs and investors who will take the bold risks that others may shy away from. Our oceans may be the last frontier. It's funny how we can map land down to the inch, and yet we understand so little about oceans and their secrets. As climate change continues to challenge us in so many ways, we need to see oceans differently. They're environmentally critical, of course, but they can also power the kind of commercial innovation that leads to big and sustainable changes everywhere. Canadians have many of the tools we need to do that, from coastline access to AI research to government support. We just need to harness the disruptor's mindset to accelerate what we're doing while we have the chance. Thank you for listening to RBC Disruptors, our ongoing conversation about innovation and how we can reimagine the Canadian economy in this time of unprecedented change. If you like this episode, 
Leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and chat with us on Twitter using the hashtag RBC Disruptors. We'd love to hear from you and where you'd like us to take the conversation in future episodes. I'm your host, John Stackhouse. Until next time. This episode was created by the RBC Thought Leadership Group and produced by Quill and Origins Media House. The content of this podcast was based on information available at the time of recording and should not be construed as a recommendation for any investment, product, service, or company.